your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Off Tackle Empire, and um, I. I'd be lying if I said I weren't still hungover right now. Once again, Steve Braun, aka Thumposaurus here, and that might be true whether you're listening to this on like Wednesday or when we're recording it on Monday. <laughs> it might be you, true on Friday. Like Christmas when you go back and listen to our greatest hits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, but all I know is that I'm going to crack open before we even get to anything here with Andy Krzyzewski. Yeah, and of course, our two. The Husky Dogger. I'm gonna crack open a Windflight Tri Brewster of the Week, which is my homecoming Weissen. This is a homebrew that I made specifically to, to to bring to homecoming and drank on. And uh, hey, much like uh, much like Illinois doing a football, this turned out way better than the than the several attempts I made in September. <laughs> Cheers! God damn, I can't believe this. As we've been saying. Basically, since the beginning of our of the preview session over the summer, any team can win the Big Ten West. Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> oh man, because I mean, obviously, if for whatever reason you're subscribed to this podcast and are unaware of what has happened, uh, Illinois defeated number six Wisconsin at home, uh, and I was in Champaign for it for 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 homecoming weekend, and I almost didn't make it because. My, uh, my, my my car had a critical driveline failure, and uh, let me tell you... What did you see on the track out there, Steve? Well, uh, you know, I, I thought thought the driveline rear axle was going to take me out of it, but uh, I can't say enough about the guys at the shop. Uh, Roy Brown Ford, thanks Roy Brown Ford for, for giving me a real fast Mazda 3 out there. Uh, Got to just thank everyone responsible. Uh, Red, Breast, uh, Red Breast Distillery, uh, Cap'n Core Cone Brew. Uh, Got to thank uh, IDOT for paving roads. Uh, well, just, just was what a, what a thing I think Murphy's. Everybody just, uh, just did a whale of a job, man. Oh man, it's just one of them ones that. Uh, and Andrew's really lucky that in all of that I didn't spray anything anywhere because. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, oh man, I, I, I wish I had more words, but um, it's the kind of moment that makes it feel like it was worth all of the, all of the. Feeling dead inside that comes with following a cellar dweller like Illinois for the last seven years. Well, yeah, yeah, more, yeah. but the cellar dwelling's been seven years on. I don't recall how what exactly the question was that I posed to you, but it, it was something along like your. I think it was just like your thoughts, and you said in all caps, "Worth it, worth everything." So worth everything. I'm going to be perfectly honest. You can get me on the record. Uh, I was more excited about that than I was about uh, my NFL team winning the Super Bowl. Um, God damn. It, well, because I hadn't spent such a long time waiting for uh, the Green Bay Packers, in whose hometown I've never lived, from whom I never earned a degree, uh, to show just the faintest sign of a pulse. But uh, this is... God damn. These moments are what make college football... Such an incredible thing because the, where where else in what other sport is a regular season win ever going to mean this much? It will is any regular season Lions game ever going to mean this much? No, but you know it's it's that point that that brings up a really good issue, which is we need to expand the playoff. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, this this argument and what this game means to people like you and everyone in your fan base is the exact reason why even a four-team playoff is a little bit of a stretch because you can. There's still it's small enough at four that the field of teams that can get in is so small anyway that it's not going to invalidate the regular season. But if there's eight teams in the playoff field, say, for example, Michigan and Ohio State are both undefeated whenever they meet at the end of the season. It's not going to happen anytime soon, obviously. But if it ever does, the loser of that game is still going to the playoff. So what the hell does that game matter? They're not going to play each other again in the conference title game. They're going to be unlikely to play in the first two rounds of an eight-team playoff. So that means that that game, the game, (laughs) an event called the game, is not going to have any importance anymore. The game, round one. It kind of loses a little bit of its luster, doesn't it? So to zoom back into the micro here, turnover margin, man. Wisconsin had the ball for 41 minutes in this game, and they still lost. You can have the ball if you want, but you got to put points consistently on the board. Before this, they were consistently doing that. Today, not quite enough. And there are big-picture questions for Wisconsin, too. The thing that jumped out in particular is they have a cohesive and effective scheme on defense, but they don't have top-level athletes who can chase down an elite tailback who gets into the secondary or a big, springy wide receiver if they have to cover him for long enough. Uh, is that going to be a problem? Do they play anybody who has any guys kind of like that anytime soon? Well, I mean, the other guy that they can't... Well, the other guy that they weren't able to track down is a walk-on transfer from Valparaiso. Donnie Navarro absolutely torched the Wisconsin secondary. So, Ran right um, past him. Yeah, so the, the other the thing... The thing is, whether Wisconsin... I mean, it doesn't particularly matter to me. No amount of... Thinking Wisconsin played a 1% game or thinking that they weren't, frankly, putting forth their best effort is going to diminish this for me at all. But what happened was that Paul Chris got outcoached by Lovey Smith in that game um, because Lovey set up, to his credit, set up perfectly to stop what Wisconsin was going to do. He at one point had, at several points, was putting three defensive tackles out there. Um, they sold out on the on the run harder than any team since the 2011 Steelers against the Tim Tebow Broncos. Um, and why would you not? I mean, what about Wisconsin's game plan made you think that wasn't exactly how to stop them? Because everything they do is predicated on your defense tailoring itself to deal with Taylor, if you'll pardon the term. <laughs> um, that's the reason they beat Michigan State, because their safeties and defensive backs had to pay attention to the run because there was too much push up front. Because they didn't have enough big guys. So Lovey Smith pops in the tape and says, let me get more linemen out there to deal with this Wisconsin offensive line first. We'll worry about everything else later. And bizarrely enough, for a coach who has drawn so many accolades, Paul Christ didn't seem bothered by this at all, didn't seem bothered enough to run play action more. Every time they dialed up the play action, they gained huge yards. But they just kept not doing it. It's hard It's hard to explain why they don't make a better in-game adjustment than that. But it they almost, didn't, and it reminded me a lot of the game against Michigan for Illinois last week where it almost seemed like Michigan was content to treat it as a scrimmage. The difference is Wisconsin never went up 28 to nothing. Um, yeah, it's I, almost like Wisconsin really was. I know it's a cliche, the whole overlooking of inferior opponent thing, but it really did feel like they were trying to keep things really simple and execute their fundamentals well to prepare for Ohio State. And uh, you you can't. Illinois had enough talent 
And, you know, they, they're trying to win the game, too. You can't do that. I just, I was stunned that Wisconsin screwed around so long. I figured right up until that interception got thrown that at some point the dam was going to break. They were going to stop screwing around. They were going to break something open. There was going to be a Wisconsin touchdown followed by a quick turnover, you know. And then the floodgates would be open and so forth. Um, th this wasn't like other big Illinois games where I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sure playing their asses off and they got a chance to win this. Because they never led until the game was over. Are those the best? <laughs> no. The last game oh, yeah, they led, led 187 laps, but there's 188 in the contest, <laughs> so uh, Illinois led the one that mattered. Yeah. And, uh, well, all right, so big picture. Between this result and the fact that they fought back against Michigan last week, are you at all swayed that maybe this is a turning point for the Lovey Smith tenure at Illinois? You know, it is really hard to say because the because the damage has been so severe, I guess, that, that, that if the recruiting can't recover and... They still don't like like they still have games to play, okay? So they could still go ahead and win, and you know lose every game, but Rutgers that's still possible. But what I have to give Lovey Smith a lot of credit for, and I have been one of his harshest critics since the sixty-three to nothing loss to Iowa, and more importantly the um, the kind of I don't care attitude towards hiring coaches after that. But I got to give him a lot of credit because. As I have said throughout the season, even when, you know, they weren't being put in positions to succeed, these players never gave up. These players never stopped fighting. They were on, the defense was on the field for 98 plays against Nebraska. They never gave up. The intensity was always there. Uh, you, there was no quit. They were on the field for 41 minutes against Wisconsin. Uh, D Devin Witherspoon still was able to, real late in that game, uh, run down Kendrick Pryor from behind to, to stop him at the three-yard line. In what, I mean, that ended up being one of many plays that decided the game. So whatever in the hell happened in that locker room, uh, I got to give Lovey Smith credit for it. They have never at any point given up here with tons of opportunity to do so. But this game does remind me a lot more of Purdue Harbor than... Anything else? Because like, because at the end of the day, Purdue still finished three and nine. Like, it was still not a good Purdue team, but they beat a quality Ohio State team that kind of came in, you know, sleepwalking. And so, all right, if, if Illinois either wins out or only loses one more game, obviously you keep Lovey at that point. If Illinois wins out, I'm getting a tattoo of Lovey Smith on me. Now. Wouldn't the easier thing, because you have a full beard for people who haven't, who haven't seen you, you have a full beard and mustache, wouldn't it just be easier to shave your head and be, like, be palette swap Lovey Smith? Probably, but unfortunately, I would have to, I would have to make my demeanor a lot mellower <laughs> to do yes, that. Yes, you would. You wouldn't be able to yell nearly as much. Although, although, <laughs> although if I am inverse Lovey Smith... Then doesn't that mean that I I'm really hyped then, then all the time? Then you're a loud white guy, yeah. Sure, I guess that could be, but, you know, in that case, you would have thick flowing locks and no beard also. <laughs> so, uh, all right, well, good on you. I'm glad you were able to end up getting there because you seem distraught when your ride attempted to prevent you from going to 
this game, presumably just to make sure you didn't actually go to the stadium. I actually didn't go to the stadium. I regret nothing. I make a fo- I make I make a football trip. I make a homecoming trip. Okay, and this you know this was one where there's just a lot of people that all over the country that I only get to see this one time a year, and I really only get the one day. So in the past, it's been a poor investment of my time to you know just spend four hours with none of these friends because none of them want to go, and then end up just being surly for the rest of the evening. Uh, was there any thought of like sprinting to the stadium at halftime? I don't know if Illinois. No, because remember, prior to about two minutes to go, I never at any point thought there was any chance they were going to win. Hmm. So I regret nothing. I wouldn't have changed anything about Saturday. How could I possibly want to change anything about what happened on Saturday? Has it always been this echoey in here? Hmm. Or am I just really excited and or really loud? I don't know. We usually record like three feet. Um, we usually record about three feet west of here. I, I want to make sure that I'm giving our listeners uh, an, an, an accurate uh, map of the situation. So yeah. so it's like you're with us in this room right now. You can clearly visualize everything that we're doing. Because we're too close to this big-ass opening into the living room. Well, we'll just edit it out in post. So we got to keep the line moving here. Um, there was a Friday night game, which is all the better because was it was the equivalent of a varsity playing, not a freshman team, but like a peewee squad. 52-3, to the Buckeyes put Northwestern. This is the sound of a wildcat being fed into a wood chipper. Yeah, it was... You know, the beginning of this game was, I mean, it had to be, as a, if you're a Northwestern fan, hilariously demoralizing, like almost hilariously demoralizing, because they kept forcing third down, and Ohio State was, it was almost like they were trying to get themselves into the longest third downs they could possibly let's, convert. <laughs> let's see how hard we can make this, yeah. Yeah. Didn't they convert like a third and 25 at one point? Uh, probably. I mean, they, and, and they would do it with just, you know, out-athleting Northwestern, just uh, Northwestern's guys were in position to make the play, but Ohio State's guys were so much better that it didn't matter. And so at the end of the first quarter, it's 7-3, and at halftime, it's 31-3. So the game's pretty much over at that point, and it continues kind of an interesting trend for Ohio State where there's maybe it's a combination of Ohio State feeling out their opponent and of the opponent coming out amped up to 100 and ready to give their absolute maximum, but... The first quarter has often been competitive for Ohio State against their opponents, and then in the second quarter, it turns into a horror show. That was the case for Michigan State. It was the case here. Wouldn't surprise me if it's the case against Wisconsin, because if the Badgers are able to sustain a drive or two, they may keep the game closer longer than anyone else has against Ohio State. But, uh, yeah, you know, the other thing, obviously, is look like Ohio State's defense is good, okay, but... Six out of twenty passing for forty-two yards and interception. That's what that's some that's some Rutgers shit from Aiden Smith for Northwestern. And it, I haven't heard anything said about it. Is Hunter Johnson still hurt, or are they just not playing him? Well, I mean, I I can only imagine that if you asked Pat Fitzgerald, he would do a bizarre boomer sketch comedy routine about it. <laughs> yeah, is he? Is there any question that he has lost his goddamn mind? Uh, it, it's like I don't know. No, you know what this is, and I've referenced it before. Him winning that division title last year was the worst thing that could possibly happen because now in his own mind, he is the smartest man in every room he walks into for the rest of his life, especially if it has anything to do with football. So the fact that they're 1-5 and and they're a complete dumpster fire on the field, that doesn't matter. That's how this is supposed to go. Why are you upset? Why is everybody upset? I'm having a great time. Didn't he say it? Didn't he say I'm having... What did he say? 
He said, he said like, a great number of things. Um, today, in today, today's Monday as we're recording, in today's presser, he searched around under the podium for a while for some magic item that he could use to make Northwestern better and was unable to find it. Yeah, and there's the... Look, any one of the things that he says would be kind of amusing in a vacuum, but this overpowering air of condescension he has towards every media f- member who dares to ask him questions about why they went from playing in Indianapolis to this. And it's like he, it's, he doesn't, the audacity that they have to question his methods when something has obviously, obviously gone seriously wrong here. And it's beyond just losing a starting quarterback from last year. Cause again, all that we're, ta- all we're, all we're talking about in the off season is most talented quarterback prospect to ever play in purple and white. And this is what we have seen. He hasn't, he's barely played. And this is what the offense looks like. And there's not, I mean, obviously he's never going to fire Mick McCall. Forget about that. So, uh, man, a defending division champ needs to win five of its last six. Six games in a row, by the way. They already have both bye weeks. Just to get to bowl eligibility. The real question is, I guess, when do they build the statue of Clayton Thorson in, in <laughs> Evanston? Because that apparently is was the difference these the previous four years between... Northwestern going to a division title, having a couple 9-10 sort of win seasons, and just winning two games a year. Well, I don't know what else the difference is. And the thing is, it's not just 5-6. I mean, really, they need to win their next five because the sixth game is against Illinois, who, of course, scored more points against Wisconsin than they did. And scoring the most points against Wisconsin is an unimpeachable thing that means you can never be questioned. Anybody going to write an article about that? <laughs> Boy, yeah, I, there's nothing else to say. There, there but is. the other thing is, what do you what do you make of a 52-3 to loss to this Ohio State team? I mean... Plenty of other teams have kept it closer. I mean... It, <laughs> I mean, but in any materially significant way, this was approximately the same as the Indiana game. I suppose, but... Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't... It is. It's. It's tough to see where Northwestern goes from here. You just kind of gotta. What do you mean? Where they go from here? They go exactly as they're continuing to go. Fitzgerald's never leaving. Well, when I say where Northwestern goes from here, it is what exactly happens like next year. I mean, because it's hard to imagine that they're gonna be this bad. Oh yeah. But where's it? If only because whether it's Smith or Johnson, they will have a returning quarterback. They can't help but be a little bit better, I would think. They'll still have, I mean, Bowser and Anderson will both still be back. I think Skoranek's a senior, but he's been hurt anyway. Riley Lees will be back. They'll still have a lot of their important pieces on offense. Rayshon Slater, their best lineman, their left tackle, he'll be back. I think he's a junior this year. So uh, they can't help but be better a little bit, but it just, the exact extent to which they have collapsed offensively really is mystifying. It's not like they were ever a powerhouse last year offensively, but they were functional, and this is so far from functional. Um Let's talk about a more interesting game. Well, I don't know if there's much of a more interesting in game in town than the than the clear public visible display of Pat Fitzgerald's deteriorating mental state. He's he's becoming the poorest of poor men's uh, Charles Foster Canes <laughs> at this point. <laughs> or do you think maybe he just saw Joker and he's like, what if that but a football coach? <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, I, I didn't see that movie, but did did 
did the Joker beat UNLV before they figured out what they had in their backup quarterback? Given the way the first 40 minutes or so go, actually, if he was doing that, they would have lost to UNLV. That's how, that's how you would translate that performance. But, uh, boy, yeah, they are hard to watch right now. So, let's talk about a couple of teams that are at least a little more aesthetically appealing in the uniforms, if nothing else. Iowa 26, Purdue 20. A bit of a decisive, of a deceptive, rather, margin. Um, Iowa's offense, still, uh, still not great, Bob. 26 points on the scoreboard may not look too, too bad, but this is still an underwhelming performance given the weakness of Purdue's defense. Kicked a bunch of field goals. Yeah, four, I think, and two touchdowns, so that's how you get to 26, if you're wondering. Um, Look, on on the Purdue side, the record doesn't reflect a good team, but I do think down the line, Purdue's youth movement is going to pay dividends. Um, David Bell looks like a number one, even on a team that has Rondale Moore. Jake Plummer has taken a couple steps forward in the last couple weeks. Um, Carl Aftis is an excellent young pass rusher. So they've got foundational pieces. It's just they're they're so young and so thin that this is not going to be a year where they have much in the way of results. It's basically a slightly belated year zero. Because, again, this is where the Hazel upperclassmen contributing essentially nothing is ruining them. Well, and I mean, you know... This is a ranked Iowa team. This is a reasonably high-quality team, and Purdue never went away. Purdue kept fighting. Purdue ended up gaining only two fewer yards than them. The biggest difference was Purdue had the one turnover, and uh, Iowa was able to get on top of the score early and then just kind of try to run the clock from there. Yeah, and what I would say, as much as I still think Jeff Brom is going to end up building a winner if he stays at Purdue, he made a couple choices in this game that to me, were kind of surprising because they reflect kind of... Think back to the first year where he's, he's faking a spike at the end of a half, for crying out loud, and, and getting a touchdown out of it. Like, that mindset and that play calling is so easy to get behind because if, if it doesn't work, if you lose, if it ends up hurting you, I can understand that because it's... You're going for the win. And at that point, maybe he felt he was playing with house money and now further into his tenure, he's hearing the... He's hearing voices in the room speculating about his future there, or he's he feels that being a little more established, he doesn't have to do that kind of thing anymore to win people over. I don't know what it is that caused him to move away from that mindset, but it's I hope that he doesn't end up going the same way that Harbaugh does in the difference between his early program game management and where he is now. It's a little early to say that, and it's a small sample size, but a couple of big decisions he made in this game that I think ended up putting them in a less likely situation to pull off the upset. Early in the fourth quarter, they're down 19-7, to and they get to goal to go from about the 10-yard line. They throw three incomplete passes in a row, and they take the field goal, which puts them still down two scores. Um, if you get in goal-to-goal situation there, I think on the road, shorthanded... Was this on the road, or was this in less off? Yeah, maybe yeah that was, was on the road. I was going to say, maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but... I think in that situation you gotta be in four down territory. So they call three com- they call three passes in a row. I'm not saying you gotta call runs necessarily, but I think you tell your offensive coordinator as soon as you get in that situation, four plays get in the end zone. Well, the thing is, Brom, I feel like has kind of it's 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 a strange thing. It seems like he's accepted that his team can't run the ball, so he's not gonna try. But that ends up kind of painting you into a corner. Yeah. When well, really, you don't you, you don't have your change up anymore. Especially in the red zone, right? Yeah. So, and then the other thing is that later on, after that decision, they get another field goal. Um, they close it to six, 
And then they kick the onside with three minutes left and all three timeouts still in their pocket. So maybe this is just the determination that, look, our defense is not good enough to prevent them from getting the one or two first downs they would need to ice this game. But they give it to Iowa in plus territory. Iowa immediately scores a touchdown. That puts the game away. The fact that Purdue then got that touchdown back didn't matter because too much time would come off the clock at that point. So that's what I would say. The other thing is that when you watch that last drive, I don't really know that Purdue, did they still play with tempo? Because it's not something I think of as a defining characteristic of them. I know they go no huddle sometimes, but the way they moved on that last drive, with the way, with the cover two that Iowa plays, that kind of thing might have been there earlier in the game if they'd gone to it before. But at the same time, that puts pressure on your defense when you're, when you're giving Iowa even more time of possession. And about, I mean, it does. But what I would note again is that onside kick... Ask me kick, how I know. <laughs> yeah, that, that onside kick tells me that Brown doesn't think his defense is going to get the stop when it matters anyway. That's what it says to me. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a paradox from what I framed this whole conversation as because on paper, going for the onside kick that early with three timeouts looks like the aggressive move. Um, and maybe it is. But I still think... With that much time left, you're putting your defense in a position to fail because they can't give up any points. That's it. Remember, Purdue's down six. Yeah. So if you if you don't recover the onside, you can't even let them get the field goal. And with a pretty good kicker, they're basically already in field goal range. So Kirk Ferentz lives for field goals. Yeah, you probably. To be honest, I'm sure Ferentz was a little miffed they didn't get a chance to kick a fifth field goal. <laughs> um, all right. So well, talk. you know, as far as game management things are concerned, I mean, you. You almost, at least on that day, you, it, it's hard to even say what leads to wins and what doesn't because I got to circle back to this because, I, because obviously because Illinois won the game, everybody has forgotten that near the end of the first half, Lovey Smith finally called a timeout to to keep a few seconds on the clock to punt back to Wisconsin <laughs> about thirty or so seconds left after third down. He decided to call his timeout. I guess he was sick and tired of people telling him he needs to call timeouts when he's got the ball at the end of the half. Well, so he said, all right, fine. Here, here, how do you like that? And he just called a timeout to see, punt. What conference is this? This is the Big Ten. And in the Big Ten, what is punting? Punting is winning. And, hey, Blake Hayes had a 46-plus 40, yard average and somehow only punted five times. So, Lovey just wanted to get one more chance to get his best player involved. And you know what? We probably should at some point talk about some things that are not the Illinois game again. But you know what? I'll stop talking about that when it stops ruling. Hey, guess what? <laughs> How about we crack open Win Fight Try Brewster of the 20 Minutes Later, which is brought to you by Redbreast. It is a Redbreast 12-year cask strength that I purchased immediately following the game. Guess what? This was put into a cask. The last time Illinois beat Wisconsin. And also the last time <laughs> Illinois beat a top 10 team. How the hell did we not lead with that? At home uh, or on the road. <laughs> because I had two potent Brewsters of the week. <sighs> it was quite the week, if you will. And my God, is this satisfying. This is my favorite whiskey in the entire goddamn world. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll, we'll try to keep this moving then. So... Um, Indiana 34, Maryland 28. A good game. Feels Way like, better than I expected. Yeah, feels like we haven't had many of those in conference play. Uh, 
Peyton Ramsey is an interesting story. He was a two-year starter for Indiana, essentially. I think maybe he... I'm trying to remember when he was a freshman if he took over the job or if it was partway through the season. Either well, they, they were kind of... They still was had Lego. Beat yeah. up. So, so, I mean, right. so Ramsey started some games, but it was kind of in relief. He and played a lot. He had another whole season as a there starter. There were times when it wasn't clear if it was because Lego was ineffective or if he was hurt. Right, that was... Because Lego was inconsistent. Yeah, and Ramsey also, at least in the games I remember seeing him, looked good as an underclassman, but... Ultimately, at the beginning of this year, they go with a guy with a definitely a higher ceiling in Michael Penix Jr., but then he gets hurt again. And so you've got a backup in Peyton Ramsey, which is a very rare commodity to have because normally, if you have a second quarterback who can play and he's not starting, he gone. But Peyton Ramsey stuck it out. They interviewed him after the game, and you know he gave kind of the general player-speak answer that you give to these sorts of questions. But it does say something about it. And, you know, it's going to be interesting after the season because he's a redshirt junior now. You would assume he'll have completed his degree. And he'll probably be. I mean, can you think around the country about uh, an obvious higher value transfer? Like, who's Oklahoma's next starter, for example, if they don't want to go with Spencer Rattler next year? Uh, Derek King. <laughs> well, that's a few. I mean, I mean, he says he's staying. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I'm sure... That he'll be like, no, thank you, Lincoln Riley. I just <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, I'm so... riding with Dana Holgerson. All right, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that that's the thing about about Indiana um, in this situation. You know, when you they they maybe should have managed this a little better because when you you mess up the ligament on your Penix, you can't just shove it into game action so fast again because you know it, you got to make sure that that ligament heals up uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and... <laughs> it's always good, though, when you've you you know when you got a substitute for, for, for a good Penix in there, when you can't necessarily shove it into the game, you All can right, at least so shove in an adequate substitution. Look, folks, I mean, we're, we're only halfway through his redshirt freshman season here, okay? you got to give us a little bit longer. I promise by the time he's a senior, we'll probably have worked the panics out of our system and and you won't be getting you know you won't be getting the constant innuendo but you probably will in um, your endo yeah yeah because we're children what can i say so yeah, it, this was a back and forth game it you know pretty well balanced maryland i think you have to take this as a positive sign is it still possible that they lose out yeah it is but this it's is more likely than not if we're being perfectly honest with ourselves well let's take a look we'll you know, screw it. Let's just, I was going to say let's punt it to the preview section, but let's take a look at it now. Um, oh, goodness. At Minnesota, Michigan, at Ohio State versus Nebraska. That's a possibility. And at MSU. Yeah, I'm not looking yeah, at that's, that's what I said. Like, <laughs> because I was thinking they already played Rutgers. They can get and... Nebraska. I mean, yeah, they already played Rutgers. I knew they had already played um, Purdue and took a big L. And then they played Indiana. I forgot who the other cro- or, um Well, that was other crossovers. Yeah, so. I was like, I don't think I got Penn State out of the way because that was bad. Uh, boy, yeah. Might only be one left, but... It's real unforgiving in that division. I do think this is a build year for Indiana, or for Maryland, rather, and that's more apparent now. I mean, you had the brief flash of de- you know delusional hope at the beginning of the year. Um, but, man, I Indiana is quickly becoming my second team, like the team that I like to watch most other than my own. It's hard to put your finger exactly on why. Don't put your finger on the panics, haha. Um, but they, you know, their offense has all these pieces that complement each other very well. They have, first of all, I mean, 
if you watch him play and look at his stat lines, you probably think, oh, that guy's a little bit of a dual threat. No, he's an excellent pocket passer. He had a string in this game of seven completions in a row. He hit 20 in a row against MSU. Um, he looks like he's going to be a star. It, all right, let me put it this way. This is the way I meant to ask you this question. If we had a conference-wide draft, all the rosters are wiped, slate, are wiped clean, and you get to pick from all the players with their current eligibility who are you just draft players. And you have number one pick. Pick round one, slot one. Who are you taking out of the Big Ten? That is a good-ass question. Um, hmm. I mean... The actual answer is Nicholas petit Frere, the five-star offensive tackle for Ohio State, who I think they're going to redshirt this year. Yeah. But... When I, I thought of this up, obviously, because I'm thinking, is there a player you would rather have to build around for the next three years besides Michael Penix Jr.? He plays at the most important position. He is only a redshirt freshman. He has already shown star potential. There's no other young quarterback in the league that compares to him, in my mind. I mean, Fields will be gone in another year. Yeah. Penix doesn't strike me necessarily as the sort of prospect that the NFL is going to be super interested in. He's not especially tall. He's not super, super fast or strong. But he's an, I think he's going to be an excellent college quarterback, and you definitely have him for at least one more year. So that's just that's a thought exercise I would pose to our vast audience out there in listener land. If you're not taking the redshirt freshman quarterback who's already proven he's capable, who would you rather have? Because I can't think of anybody. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to disagree with you there. <coughs> you know, for, 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 for Maryland, I, I don't really know what you say anymore, but... You know, you're probably following recruiting a lot at this point. Let me say, recruiting in basketball is yeah probably um, going. I mean, you probably okay. at this point with the schedule you got remaining. You know, obviously, if you're a big football fan, you watch this. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you probably packed this up, packed it in, looking for next. <coughs> yeah, I um, I don't recall if there's a game before this for Maryland where Javon Leak had this kind of volume, but maybe you're encouraged by the fact that he looks like he can handle a workhorse. Kind of rushing low 23 for a buck 58 and two scores with Anthony McFarland down. And apparently, I think McFarland has a high ankle sprain, so I don't know what his return is. But it sounds like it's also a thing he's been dealing with for a while. I wasn't aware of it. The most important high ankle sprain in college football. Because the Big Ten just means more. I, uh, <clears throat> I was trying to piece together what you might have been referring to. I almost drowned myself on water just now, if you're wondering why I sound like this all of a sudden. So, you know, I'm 31 years old and I can... Usually drink correctly. Well, I don't know. All Speaking I can say, usually, all I can say is, win as a thirty-one point favorite and see just how correctly you can drink for just how long. <laughs> or a thirty-one point underdog. My goodness, <laughs> Illinois is a thirty-one point favorite. I think everyone Can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> although um, I heard on the radio today, and I don't know if this is accurate or what site it is, but a sports radio program here in the Detroit area was discussing some betting odds and. They mentioned that somebody they talked to who operates one of these online sports books put in a projection for what Ohio State versus Rutgers would be if it was played this week. What would you think the line would be on that game? I saw this one, so... All right, well, that's no fun. Um, you what, out there what? in listener land, we'll give you a quick second. What would you think the line would be if Rutgers and Ohio State played this week? Pause. I don't know if you hear that ambulance in the background, but that's... Uh... That's very a... <laughs> very fitting uh, intermission music for this segment. Yeah, I mean, really, all you need is is then like like a burst of gunfire. There's another one. 
Yeah, uh, my new house is about half a mile away from one of the biggest hospitals in Michigan, so you're going to hear a little bit of that in the background from time to time. From now on, at least when we record here. But anyway, that's enough time for you to think about it. The answer, 50 and a half points, <laughs> which is just... What was the over-under? 53. <laughs> yeah. So... Granted, no, no, like, that's... The other question is, when, first of all, when do they? When do those two teams play? Because it, it's not, it hasn't happened yet, and uh, it's not, it's not the last week of the season. I don't think it's the last couple weeks of the season because MSU, Maryland, Rutgers, and Penn State do a big part of that round robin the last two weeks of the season. So it's gotta be pretty soon. So that seems ridiculous. But last year they won fifty-two to three. So it a is. fifty-two to two score would be pretty much par for the course. In fact, it would be one of the better well, games. But on that line, they would fail to cover and they would hit the over. So yeah. <laughs> um, the answer to that is they play at Rutgers on November 16th. So Ohio State has Wisconsin coming this week, then they host Maryland, and then they go to Rutgers. So in another th- in another couple of weeks, do you see a sequence of events where we will think substantially... Well, obviously there's one where we think substantially less of Ohio State if they lose to Wisconsin... But given what Rutgers plays in the next couple of weeks, so let's go ahead and take a look. We're, uh, we'll get to the Rutgers-Minnesota game. Sit your asses down. You're in a boat. You're going to fall out, you dumbasses. So, well, we all know. Everybody on earth knows who Rutgers plays in two weeks. Because it's Illinutgers. It's Illinutgers 6. So between now and then, Rutgers hosts Liberty and then they go to Illinois. Um, I don't think that, I mean, they're, they're a home dog against Liberty, first of all. I think when they go to Illinois, that's going to be probably about a 9-10 to 10 point spread for the Illini. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. For the first time in four years, three years, but four, four, three seasons ago, okay, 2016. So for the first time since 2016, I am pretty sure we're going to win a Big Ten game. <laughs> Granted... The last time I was pretty sure we were going to win a Big Ten game... You flew too close to the sun. The opponent was Purdue. And we perdoinked. Yeah. So, alright. We've circled around this for a while. It's not that a 42-7 to outcome is especially surprising or dramatic for Rutgers. And in fact, this game was actually competitive for quite a while. I mean, it's 14-0 at halftime. Minnesota fans getting very anxious about, why isn't this game over yet? Um... And then Minnesota turned it on with 21 in the fourth quarter, while also giving up Rutgers' touchdown. I mean, if you allow Rutgers to score, you should probably consider firing a couple of your defensive staffers. Um, somewhat of an underwhelming game statistically for Minnesota. I mean, Rodney Smith's line looks pretty good, but overall the rushing attack not terribly efficient. Terry Morgan only completes a little more than half his passes, not for huge yardage. But again, it you know when you're grinding your opponent into bits like this, and there's really no threat of Rutgers scoring when it's a competitive game, what does it really matter? Um, it's you fit- know, we talk a lot about on this podcast about how bad Rutgers is, and the reason that we do it is because... They're so goddamn bad! Every just, week they keep blowing our mind. Like, there's a new miracle every week. <laughs> here's just, the thing, okay? Unless something dramatically improves with this Rutgers season, this will be the third of their last four years... That are worse than any Illinois season I've directly experienced. Like that takes some doing. That, yeah, I'm talking about two seasons where we lost all our Big Ten games. Like it, it, the statistics are preposterous. 
2.5 yards per attempt in this game for yeah. Johnny Langan. And it feels... It for, feels 48 mean. yards on 19 attempts. Just like it was the case with Sikowski last year, it, it I feel a little uncomfortable at a certain point because I don't want to pile on to the poor kid. He was a third stringer at the beginning of the year at fucking Rutgers. It's not really fair to expect a whole lot more out of him. But even with Chris Ash gone, like... And, and the offensive coordinator gone, the rest of these guys are college-level coaches, are they not? Like, they can't figure out something, anything, to make things easier on this kid? Like, 9 for 19, 48 yards, 3 interceptions, and I think he lost a fumble, too. Uh, he did. He, he had two fumbles, and they... It doesn't say if they're lost yep, or recovered. Looks like looks like it was... Uh, yeah, they fumbled three times, recovering all of them. Langan got two of them. Yeah, man, and it's just, like... Now that, I mean, with Sikowski and Blackshear sitting, Pacheco is the only player on that offense that I would want on my team's roster. And Michigan State's offense is terrible. <laughs> and there's nobody on this Rutgers team other than Pacheco that I think would make it any better. It, it's just, it, it, every week it boggles the mind. And had, had, Here's the thing. Had Illinois lost 49 to nothing to Wisconsin this weekend, I would still be sitting here saying, yeah, we're going to kick the shit out of Rutgers. It's really bad over there. And look, it, far be it for me, a writer on the internet, to call out bad takes necessarily, but I saw on our sister blog on the banks, the opinion expressed that actually Minnesota's talent isn't all that much better than Rutgers. And by the end of his career, there was, a, there was the opinion expressed that I, somebody called Isaiah Washington is going to be as good a player as Rashad Bateman. Isaiah Washington in this game had two receptions for 17 yards. It's certainly possible, but I have no idea how they know who's going to coach him to that level. And when you say it's possible, sure, in the in the metaphysical sense, yeah. maybe. Yeah, literally anything's possible. More likely you're downstream from the DuPont plant if you're expressing that opinion. In my opinion. Um, and, and look, I, get, I can't imagine what it's like to go through a stretch like this. Because I'm thinking, I mean, the only comparison that I have in my lifetime is that MSU had Bobby Williams and John L. Smith back-to-back. But they were never anywhere near this bad. John L. Smith, in his worst season, my first year at MSU, was still three and nine. But they looked at least looked in most games like they belonged on the field with their opponents. Like this is essentially a buy where you get credit for a win every week for every other team in the Big Ten. Maryland beat the shit out of them. Illinois is going to beat the shit out of them. Michigan State could score thirty points against them. Like that's I'd preposterous. Love to see what they look like against Northwestern. Well, we saw it last year, didn't we? And yeah. that was a Northwestern team that won the division. Would there be any points? How many overtimes, how many scores overtimes do you think they would let them play before they're like, all right, the, ref, the, like the referees confer and they huddle and they're talking like they're reviewing a call. It's like, wait, nobody threw a flag. What are they doing? And then the ref's just like, uh, that's enough of this bullshit. Everybody go home. We're going to call the game for darkness. This is canceled. When I say darkness, I don't mean there is not enough light. I mean, like, this is... Really I dark. mean, like we're experiencing some dark this is, shit this is together, really and dark. I need to go be home. I need to go home, be with my family, and set up an appointment with my therapist because this shit is dark. And yeah, you mentioned your experience with Michigan State. Well, shit, I'm a fan of a team that came into Saturday winning ten of their last sixty-eight conference games, and and this is what Rutgers has done in the last four years is unfathomable to me. I, it's like. You're basically, I was going to even say, yeah, you're looking to Kansas for some solace. But you got blown out by Kansas last year and you have a transit of loss to them this year. Uh, and they have less miles. 
And they almost beat Texas. Like, yeah. There's, there's, I, well, shit. There's no longer any doubt that Rutgers is the worst Power Five program, and there is not even a close second. No. Not even not. remotely a close second anymore. Because not we, Kansas. We, we had a debate about this the last few years. Yeah. Not Kansas. Not Oregon State. Not Oregon State has two conference wins. Yeah. Nope. Not even close. It beat <laughs> Cal on the road. You know, if it feels... I Again, if you're a Rutgers fan and you have ventured outside of your own team's bubble, God bless you, first of all. I don't know how you do it. Uh, you probably get tired of hearing this kind of refrain... And for us, look, we don't want to be having this conversation, but it's just, it's what's there to be said. And at a certain point, yes, it does. It's, it's, you found a dead body in the woods and it's fun to go and poke it for a while. But then after a while, like the bad thing buildup makes the guts explode. And now it's just really fucking gross. I mean, I'm still going to poke it with this stick, but it has taken a turn in a different direction. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, that being said, let's go ahead and table any further Rutgers talk for now. We do have one more game, actually another good game, and a game of substantial impact. Penn State 28, Michigan 21. A funny thing happened on the way to another public high-profile pantsing. Uh, Michigan rallied and made it a game. Penn State jumped out 21-0, and it it was on its way to looking like the game in 2017 did against Penn State for Michigan, or, or any other games against Ohio State. Um where it was going to be an opportunity to prove that they had arrived, that they could compete with and be an elite program, and they just weren't going to take that opportunity, and they're going to show exactly how far away they were. But second half, they make adjustments, some things start working on offense, the defense starts working out well. You could There was definitely a little bit of tightening up on Penn State's part, and really ultimately what I think saved James Franklin from another loss to one of his division top-level opponents was the fact that Penn State had K.J. Hamler and Michigan didn't. Um, Hamler was enormous in this game. You know, I'm just now looking at this um, at this game for the first time. I didn't see any of it. I, I didn't really follow any of it, obviously because I was too busy drinking all of the beer. Yeah. And getting, huh, and getting um, yeah. the entirety of Murphy's to do an I-L-L-I-N-I chant that just, uh, you know, deafened me. Uh, I can, uh, I don't know. There hasn't been the opportunity to do that since I graduated seven years ago. But in any case, I was busy. This doesn't make sense to me because Michigan outgained Penn State by over 100 yards. 26 yeah. first downs to their 14. Uh, 38 minutes time of possession. They only turned it over once to Penn State's zero. What, what in the hell happened here? Like I said, Penn State had K.J. Hamler. Michigan didn't. This is Penn State's offense has always been reliant on the big play. They don't sustain drives. They don't hold on the ball that long. Penn State's defense definitely wore down a little bit in the second half, by the way, as Michigan, I I don't remember the exact margin and number of plays that they ran, but Michigan, as you mentioned, outgained him, had the ball a lot longer. Um, I think it might have been a pretty close time of possession difference to the Wisconsin-Illinois game, actually. Yeah, it was was only off by about three minutes. Yeah. Um, So so really, if you take away, if Michigan had been able to 
If they um, had anybody who could run as fast as KJ Hamler, then yeah, that 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 touchdown with nine minutes to go would have tied the game. But unfortunately, <laughs> somebody's got a Hamler. Uh, there are you know there have been there were some coaching decisions Harbaugh made in this one that have been scrutinized heavily here in a very Michigan-centric sports media that we have in this Detroit market. Uh, you know, decisions about kicking a 58-yard field goal with a kicker who I think they said his career long was 43 before that. Yeah, that's a bit much. Um, if you're on the 41 and you don't have a kicker with proven long distance available, apparently Quinn Nordine was injured, the guy who usually kicks long distance for him. I, I think you got a punt there, sure, but that's, that's the kind of micro decision that honestly shouldn't really be the difference in a game like this. The big picture questions are still there, and they're made a little bit softer in this instance because Michigan did keep it closer. They did. They were competitive on the road in a whiteout with Penn State, but that's still two conference losses. So unless Ohio State dick trips against somebody before then, and again, Wisconsin's really the only obstacle they have left before Michigan, um, you got to beat them, and they've got to lose another game if you want to get to Indianapolis. And that also, by the way, you now have to have Penn State lose three games because you lost to them too. So there's really no road for Michigan to go to Indianapolis, which means it'll be five years in, zero playoff appearances, almost certainly. I mean, is it possible that Michigan could win out, somehow miss the title game and get invited? I suppose it's possible. But wait, no, they've got two losses. That's not going to happen. What am I saying? Um, So... Here's another fun thing to consider. Assuming Michigan doesn't beat Ohio State, um, that's the le- that's the last chance for them to beat a top ten team this year. So Jim Harbaugh will have one top ten win in his in five years at Michigan. That's the same number that Lovey Smith has in four years at Illinois. Did you see the calculus as for how much each of those have cost the respective schools? Yeah, substantially <laughs> more for Michigan. Yeah, Illinois. Her top 10 win of the Lovey Smith era has paid Lovey Smith $12.5 million. Which, hell yeah, I would gladly see Illinois invest yeah. that much to beat a top 10 that's team one time in four years. That's probably reasonable. Michigan has paid Jim Harbaugh $37.5 million for the same number of top 10 wins. Whoo boy. Um, and of course, they've paid them both the same amount for zero Big Ten tournament or Big Ten championship appearances. Well... Let's also look at this from the other side. We've been sleeping on Penn State. I don't know about sleeping. I mean, there's been there's been fair reason for questioning, right? Because, again, as we mentioned, this offense is not terribly efficient. They are big play dependent. Um, and there were, there were weaknesses in this game. I mean, if this game lasted another couple minutes, they might have coughed it up, which I know is the most Michigan thing to say ever, that they simply ran out of time. <laughs> but it, it, I'm serious. I mean, does... I don't. Th- I haven't seen much from Penn State this year that makes me think they're beating Ohio State. And for them, really, this year, that's got to be the only question. If you're a Penn State fan and you are concerned with your team's placement in the playoff rankings so that you can lose to Ohio State and still sneak in, don't do that. That's some horseshit. That's some Bama shit. Um, and you're not Bama. You're not going to get that kind of benefit of the doubt. You know, I was counting on Ohio State going on the road and losing their mind in the game, but I forgot to see if... I mean, I guess probably what happened is that Ryan Day does not take the medicine that makes Urban Meyer sometimes forget things when Title IX violations are reported to him. Yeah. So I guess that's probably the difference, huh? Yeah, that and he fired Greg Schiano's ass out of a cannon. Enjoy your new coach, Rutgers. Um, So, look, 
we've run a bit long here, but it was a good week in the conference. We had a lot to talk about. You obviously had the experience of a decade, probably, for your program. Um, Biggest upset, possibly, in history for Illinois? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, I mean... Certainly, I think the biggest upset in Big Ten Conference play in the last 40 years. All, your all-time record with Ohio State is surprisingly close to even, is it not? Well, as you may recall, prior to 1967, Illinois was a very good football program. Right, but I mean, well, anyway, we got to get going. We won the national title 100 years ago. We got to take a quick turn around the country here. Um, Dick Tripp of the Week. Duh! <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and they lost this game. I mean, they 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 absolutely lost this game. It's on coaching. I mean, obviously, you can't take too much away from the players, but like, it's just unbelievable to me that Wisconsin didn't have their players in position to in a position to succeed here. It, <laughs> when you look at everything that was written about this game leading up to it, it wasn't really that inaccurate. It's just that Wisconsin didn't do the things everybody <laughs> said they had to do to comfortably win this game. Yeah. They just wouldn't do it. No. And it, you know, it's really kind of unfortunate luck for Wisconsin because this was very nearly um, what, our, what our esteemed friends of the Banner Society refer to as Blood Week, where there's just absolute chaos because South Carolina almost declared themselves captain of the SEC East, you know, in the style of the Pirate from Captain Phillips. By giving Florida an extended fight, Clemson struggled with Louisville for a little bit before turning on the Burners. Um, and Kansas. Oh, my God. Oh, Kansas came so close. They had a blocked PAT return the other way, and it ended up being a two-point game. That's a tragedy. Uh, oh, man. They came so close. Um, Oregon State beat Cal on the road. Cal's not ranked anymore, but that's still a quality, yeah. that's still a quality proletariat rising up against... Uh, yeah, we successful had, um, team. Not that Cal's been a benchmark for success. We had still. the we had the bourgeois participating in that Vanderbilt ended Missouri's lurker campaign for the SEC East. Um, Boise probably cost themselves a New Year's Six bid by going to Provo and losing to BYU. And we say that because Appalachian State is absolutely tearing a new asshole in just about everybody they come across now out there in Sun Belt play. So we're probably going to see the Mountaineers in New Year's Six game. Oh, oh dear. There's a scenario where Appalachian State and Michigan could play in a bowl game. If Michigan wins out and they get into like, what are the playoff games this year? The Fiesta and the and the Peach, I think. Like they could, you know, one of the one of the non. I don't know. I'm only paying attention to stuff that's affecting my program. Yeah, one of the non-playoff New Year's Six games. Tell me they're gonna pass on a chance to put Michigan and Appalachian State in a game together. It wouldn't be as much of a fluke this time, man. Appalachian State is. Pretty damn good. Um, okay. We'll take a quick look at the hot seat watch here. Um, not really much of a note, in my opinion. I'm a little bit surprised there hasn't been much talk locally here, rather, um, of canning Harbaugh because of, again, five years, no conference titles, to say nothing of no national titles. Any question in your mind about whether Harbaugh is at Michigan long-term? You know, it's all up to Jim Harbaugh. They're not going to fire him. It is go. all up to Jim Harbaugh. It's, does he feel, is his heart in it? Does he want to do this? Does he need the money? What's, what's, what's his deal? Because you mentioned he's been paid $35 million just by Michigan, just in salary, by the way. It's to say nothing. I'm sure his overall compensation is probably somewhat like Nick Saban's. 
where they, you know, they buy him a very expensive life insurance policy, boosters pay for his house, all that kind of shit. So, no, he's, he's obviously not getting fired. We've not heard the slightest whimpering from the athletic department. Ward Manuel is not a guy who talks much in public from what I hear, or at least it's not reported on if he does. So I think you're right that the only way he goes anywhere is if he decides he wants to, but there's a growing apathy in the Michigan fans that I know, and a, a growing sense of, this isn't going to work out. How is this not working out? This should have worked out. Yeah. Um, you hate, you hate to see it. Well, I, I'm, what I'm looking on Twitter is for the Les Miles quote about the end of that game where he was, he was, uh, oh, the, Kansas is a phrase, something along those lines. Uh, and what I'm seeing on Twitter is instead a lot of, yeah, well, then Michigan grabs Les Miles after one year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Kansas coach Les Miles. You think that people will leave the stadium will know Kansas? I think they will know that phrase. Kansas. It seems a bit more now to me. Kansas. <laughs> you can picture, you know... God, I love Les Miles. <laughs> that, that expression where he's like... Yeah, man, I am saying these words. These words are these words do mean a thing that are coming out of my mouth head right now. To to borrow to borrow a phrase from a very esteemed uh, mentor of mine in the coaching profession. He always used to tell me, he always used to say, Kansas. Your source for big and it's off tackle empire!